Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. You can stay seated for tonight's reading. It's, it's pretty lengthy, and we're going to continue that series. Finish it up. Tonight's installment is called Give Whatever God Requires. Let me say a prayer. Father, thank you so much. We give you praise tonight, God, for all that you've done, and I pray that you would challenge our hearts tonight as we take a deep look at our own willingness to give what you require of us. And we give you praise for that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Give whatever God requires. So we started out with give thanks. Then we looked at forgive. And tonight we're looking at give whatever God requires. Now that's easy said, that's hard done. So Genesis 22 is our text. It's, it's a lengthy reading, but listen to this. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. That's how my kids talk to me, right? Father, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together, and then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided, Jehovah Jireh. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven 
and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Wow. This text tells the story of one of the heaviest requirements ever laid on somebody in your Bible. Think about it. God tested Abraham, and he tested him with his word. It says that. He, he came to him, Abraham, and he tested him saying. He tested him with his word. He said something to him. 30 words or so in the English, 15 in the Hebrew. And in those words was a call to action and to give radically, drastically. Your son, your only son, the son you love, offering him as a burnt offering to me. Sacrifice him. That's tough. That's hard. That's heavy. But verse 3 is right on the heels of the request, and it shows us that Abraham was quick to respond. And he obeyed immediately. He obeyed. That, that's astounding to me. This whole situation of him going up to the mountain and binding his son, it's, it's called in the Hebrew the Akhidah, the Akhidah, the binding of Isaac. It's legendary. It's the stuff of legend. And, and the thing is, we know the end of the story. We know what we just read. We know that Isaac would not actually die, that God would provide a lamb, that God, there would be a substitute. But, but Abraham's walking by faith. He did not read Genesis 22. He did not know the end of this story. So, so this, this is the deal. It begs the question, how did Abraham get to a place where he could give Whatever God required, without hesitation, quickly, he could just move on that word. How could he do that? Like, that's a heavy word. Your son, your only son, the son you love, kill him. Why? Because I said so. How could he respond so quickly? Well, let me just put your mind at ease. It took time for him to get to that kind of faith. He had to develop into that man. He was not that man 25 years earlier. It took time. It took time. He had to build up to that kind of faith. The, the first verse of Genesis 22 really gives us a clue. It says, now, it came to pass after these Things. There were a whole lot of things that took place prior to him saying, All right, let's saddle up the donkeys. Come on, boys. We'll see you later, Sarah. Me and the boy are going over here. We're going to go worship. The voice has been talking to me again. It took time for him to get to that place, that place. After these things, God tested Abraham. When God asked this incredible sacrifice of him, Abraham had been following the Lord probably around 50 years or so. And he had learned the value of saying yes 
to the voice, to the word, and giving whatever the Lord asked of him. Remember, obedience is a type of giving, and giving is a type of sowing. Talk about sowing seeds. And all acts of saying yes to God are seeds sown and yield a good crop. Let me say that again. All acts of saying yes to the word of God are seeds sown and yield a good crop. But the opposite is true too. All acts of saying no to God are seeds sown and yield a bad crop. Abraham had learned the value of saying yes to God and the pain of saying no. He had had some good crops and he had had some bad crops. I won't say crop failures because the crops came in, but they were just bad crops. They were not the stuff he wanted. So when we go back to the beginning, and that's what I want to do, I kind of want to trek through his story and then end up right where we began. So let's look back at when God first started talking to him and requiring requiring things of him. Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, he was told, and you've heard me preach this quite a few times, but he said, leave your land and leave your clan. Leave this place, Ur of the Chaldees, and leave your people. Leave them behind. And, and he had a bumper crop of blessing because he left the land. But he also had a bumper crop of disaster, death, grief, conflict, betrayal, because he did not leave his clan, his people. So he had this kind of, I obeyed in this area, great blessing, as we'll see in just a minute. And then I didn't obey in this area, and I had some serious trouble at Haran with some of my family, and Lot's going to be a thorn in my side for quite some time. So Abraham had obeyed, but not fully. And then, then on the heels of that, uh, he's, he spends a little time in Egypt, and, and then eventually he, he, finally, he finally separated from Lot, what was left of his clan. So, so we see where he obeyed, left the land, didn't leave the family. Uh, his father dies. He has all this stuff, these, problem, these problems in Haran. Lot follows him. He goes to Egypt for a while, and then he finally separates from Lot. To get to Genesis 22, to get to that Genesis 22 kind of faith, he, he, he had to let Lot go. He had to obey in that area. Now, I've preached it before that God, when you go to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you don't see, or, or first of all, are you with me? Yeah. Isn't this exciting? Yeah. So when you go to Hebrews 11, you, you never see where God said, uh, and Abraham, when he was asked to leave, uh, left, but... He drug along his family. Like It doesn't say that in Hebrews 11. God just celebrates the part he got right. And he, and he doesn't, in Hebrews 11, he doesn't even say, well, and he blew it on this other side. He just celebrates, and that's the way our God is. He'll celebrate what you get right and not condemn you for the part you got wrong. Thank God for it, right? Because he knows if I'm moving in the right direction, I may have some weights and I might have some sins, but... But I got that wristband on somewhere. I'm still in the race, right? I'm still moving in the direction I should be moving. I might not be going as fast as I should because I've got, I've got Lot with me. But, but God celebrated the fact that he got it. He got the stuff that he got right. He got right. God's go for it. But for him to get to Genesis 22, he had to cross that threshold 
of letting a lot go. I, we, we're going to have to separate. It took conflict. It took conflict for him to finally uh, separate from Lot. It would have been so much easier for him if when he left Ur of the Chaldees, he'd have just flat out left and not drug all this baggage along. But to get to Genesis 22, he was going to have to. I'm going to tell you something right now. God celebrate what you got right. Thank God for it. But for you to get where your destiny is, don't think all that stuff doesn't matter. That still small voice that's been whispering to you, you need to let that go. You need to stop that. You need to walk away from that. Don't think that you're going to achieve the calling and the destiny on your life dragging that stuff along. Somewhere down the line, you're going to have to let it go. Abe was learning how to trust God. You see, God knew, and, and listen, Genesis 22, I preached on it before. Genesis 22 was epic. It was epic. It wasn't just like God being cruel, like, do you love me more than the Canaanites who offer their children to these false gods? It wasn't that at all. As a matter of fact, God knew what was in Abraham's heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God knew what was in that boy's heart. God knew what was in his heart. There are epic reasons behind Genesis 22. And God knew it. But for Abraham to do the right thing, he was going to have to cross some faith barriers and thresholds early in his walk with God and throughout his walk with God. And that's the same way it is with us. David Crank said this. I love it. There are relationships for a reason and relationships for a season. If people can't grow with us, they can't go with us. I love people, y'all. All people. God loves people. All people. But there are some people. I'm going to love them, but, but we're just not hanging. We're just not hanging. They frustrate me. They bring me down. They're negative. They're, they're, uh, they distract me. They, they tempt me to get off course. To lose my focus on the prize. I mean, you see it in Abraham's life right here with Lot. And the rest of the family, there, there, there are some people, they're just not going to grow with you. you got to let them go. Some relationships you have to let go in your walk with God. You just have to. It's not that you don't like people, you're mean and stuff like that. It's like, to get where i got to go, i got to let go of some of this stuff. For me to grow, if you're not going to grow with me, you just, I, can't, I can't walk. How can two walk except they be agreed? The prophet said. <clears throat> now, Abraham had learned some valuable lessons from his successes and from his failures. How many of you know you can learn from your failures? Don't waste a failure. Because I promise you, you'll repeat it. Do not waste a failure. Learn from it. Fail forward. And so in those early years of following God, he learned some things. Then in Genesis 14, old dumb Lot went and got himself captured by a confederation of four kings. And Abraham, who was mightily blessed, went out. There were these other kings that were involved, five kings, the war of the nine kings. And, and Abraham was the game changer. Comes in, rescues Lot, just with 318 men. I mean, he's just a nomad, but he comes, he comes in. 
He's a nomad, but he's yes mad because they took Lot, who was family, who he couldn't hang with, but he went after him anyway, and he rescued him because the Lord was with him. And then the king of Sodom wanted to reward Abraham because he had shifted the tide and defeated those four kings. And, and Abraham was beginning to learn where his blessing came from. He knew his help came from the Lord. And so he said, notice verses 17 through 20 in Genesis 14. And, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley, and his return from the defeat of this really significant name, and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine and was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now, Let's talk about this for a minute. We have no idea where Melchizedek came from, how he came to be in Canaan, how he came to be a worshiper and a priest of the one true and living God, and how Abram came to know about him. He's just this mystery man who appears. <laughs> the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. He was the king of Salem, and Salem was the ancient, original Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So he was a priest and a king. David Guzik says this, Historically, it is dangerous to mix civic authority and religious authority. God forbade the kings of Israel to be priests and the priests to be kings. As a matter of fact, in 2 Chronicles 26, 16 through 23, King Uzziah tried to do the work of a priest and God struck him with leprosy. Years before that, Saul tried to do the work of a priest, and he lost the kingdom because of it. But Melchizedek was an exception. He was a type of Christ, for sure. The Old Testament priests were from the tribe of Levi, which is the Aaronic priesthood. But Jesus, as you know, was not from the tribe of Levi. What tribe was Jesus from? The tribe of Judah. So how can he be a priest? Well, the writer of Hebrews makes it clear he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And this is spoken of in Psalm 110 and 4. Melchizedek was a priest and the king of Salem. The word is really from Shalom, the king of Shalom. Jesus is our high priest, the prince of peace, the, the king of the new Jerusalem. And Jerusalem means the foundation of Shalom, the foundation of peace. Isaiah 28, 16, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation of stone a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. Whoever believes will not be ashamed. Peter quotes this in 1 Peter 2, 6, that, that cornerstone is Jesus, and he's the king of the new Jerusalem. So Melchizedek was this priest of God most high. El Elyon is, is the wording there, and, and it's like saying the supreme being, this supreme deity, no one like our God the one true and living God. And then verse 18 says that Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. I want to park here just for a minute. It says he brought out bread and wine. This is astounding, y'all. Bread and this like communion. You know what he did? 
He ordered those little cups. From Lifeway. 4,000 years ago. He ordered them. And, and, and they, you know, it, but it says it. They, he, he brought out bread and wine. This shows us that the Passover meal of the book of Exodus predated the book of Exodus by 500 years or so. That this is a trip. This is the idea of a covenant meal. And we find it prior to Passover. It's interesting. The idea of covenant meal predated Passover. And it's still around today in communion, in the church, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. But we're not done because it will be part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. As a matter of fact, by the time of Jesus walking this earth, there were four cups of Passover. We used to do seders here. I think we were going to do one this year, and it got blown away by the COVID. And so we were going to do the, the, the seder meal. We love to do the Passover seder. We, we do it, I think, every other year. And it's just so cool and instructional. It's, it's, uh, it's from you know the Jewish origin, and, and it's just instructional. You learn a lot, and, and we, you've got four cups. You've got four cups, and they did at the time of Jesus as well. Uh, and and the, the, the four cups of Passover mean this. Number one, the first cup, I will bring you out. I will bring you out. This is the Kadash, the Kadash cup, the cup of sanctification. Sanctification. The second cup, I will deliver the Haggadah, the Haggadah cup, the cup of proclamation. And it was where the father would, would stand and ask, and we did, we've done this in, in our Seder. The father would say, what makes this night so different? And he starts the, the soliloquy about the Passover. And then the third cup is this, I will redeem the Barakah, the Barakah cup, the cup of blessing. And here is where the meal would actually begin. And they would eat the, the matzah bread and, and the lamb, the unleavened bread and the lamb. And, and, and so it would actually begin there, the, the I will redeem. We're redeemed, you know, by the broken body of Jesus and the blood of the lamb. And then number four, the fourth cup, I will take. I will take the Hallel cup. The cup of praise, I'll take you out. And they would sing this, the Hillel Psalms, Psalm 115 through Psalm 118. You can read them. Th those are probably what Jesus and the disciples sang together in the upper, in, in the upper room at the Last Supper. And it, it, if you read Psalm 115 through Psalm 118, it's fascinating. It's so encouraging. Like Jesus is about to go die, but these are psalms of dedication and praise and worship. Psalms that are talking about, I will give whatever God requires. I want to tell you something. If you learn how to worship God, then, you know, Jesus said, my commands are not grievous. It, when you get in, you can get into such a flow that when God begins to ask things of you, you learn how to surrender, and that becomes part of your worship. Don't think that when he went up in Genesis 22 to the mountain, that that's the first time he ever worshipped by sacrificing. 
every act of obedience from the time he left Ur of the Chaldees was an act of worship, giving, sowing, worshiping God. The little things, that, the, the little places that you surrender to God, even in your demonstrative worship and lifting your hands and clapping your hands and shouting unto God with a voice of triumph and dancing before the Lord and kneeling before the Lord and that kind of stuff, those are acts of surrender. And they shouldn't just be in our demonstrative worship, but they should be when the Holy Spirit is saying, why don't you go talk to that person? Why don't you turn that off and listen to me for a minute? Why don't you change the channel, son? You know, that kind of stuff, those are acts of worship. And the fourth cup, this is fascinating to me. At the Last Supper, it appears as if Jesus partook of the first three cups, but he's holding off on the fourth one so he can take it together with us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen to what he said, Matthew 26, 29. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So the marriage supper of the Lamb, part of that is our Melchizedek bringing out the wine and the bread, saying, let's celebrate together this fourth cup. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Melchizedek rushed out there and brought it. It's pretty cool. What a day that will be. Me and my cousin Randy, we just sang that song at a funeral on Tuesday. I was out of town for Monday prayer. I heard y'all had a great time of prayer here Monday night. We were out of town uh, and sang sang at my uncle's funeral and, uh, and sang that song. It was, it was really moving. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Mm. Now, Melchizedek was the priest of God Most High, and as a priest, he did two things. He blessed Abram, and he blessed God. Melchizedek showed that a priest has to connect with both God and man and has a ministry to both God and man. Hebrews 7, 3 says, Melchizedek is without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of man, son of God, remains a priest continually because, uh, and remains a priest continually. So uh, some have said because of that, that this was a pre-incarnate Christ, uh, but I don't believe that. I think the purpose of him not having a genealogy was to, to, to leave it open and to give us this picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, just for fun, David Guzik makes this point. You ready for this? This is just for fun. <clears throat> Others have suggested he was Shem, Noah's son, or Job, or an angel, or even some have fancifully speculated Melchizedek was an outer space visitor an unfallen Adam from another planet sent to observe the progress of God's work of redemption for this fallen race. Makes me want to say, according to ancient astronaut theorists, <laughs> now check this out. I want to believe. Check this out. It says, and he gave him a tithe of all. So Melchizedek comes out with the, 
the, the wine and the bread. And Abraham, Abraham gave him. He gave. Notice give what God requires. Abraham, Abram gave unto the Lord. This, this, this is astounding. And, and check this out. He, he gave. He gave unto the Lord through giving Melchizedek a tithe, a tithe of all. Here's what's remarkable. It's a couple things remarkable about this. Like the Passover meal, this tithe is before the law. There's no scriptural requirement. Unless he had this understanding, this primal understanding that goes back to the Garden of Eden. Here's all these trees, Adam. You can eat of all of these, but except this one. It's mine. Not yours. Give it to me. It belongs to me. And so here you have Abram being a giver, living with an open hand, not a closed fist. And it's almost as if Abram and Melchizedek got in this contest to see who could bless the other one more. Melchizedek blessed Abraham out of his resources. Here's the wine. Here's the bread. Said some amazing things. And Abraham blessed Melchizedek out of his resources. Abraham blessed Melchizedek with one-tenth of his total assets, not his income. His total assets. Here you go, Melchizedek. Woo! What a giver. What, what was happening? Abram was learning to trust. As a matter of fact, we see this in 14, 21 through 23. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. In other words, the people you've rescued, give them to me, but take all the stuff that you won in this battle. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing. I've sworn an oath. I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you say, I've made Abram rich. God is my source. He was learning some things, y'all. And at the beginning of chapter 15, God honored his faith when he showed up and said, Hey, Abraham, I will be your shield and your great reward. I'll protect you from repercussions and revenge, and I'll provide for your every need. It's pretty awesome. Give what God requires, and you get that kind of response from God. It's pretty awesome. Well, then God cut covenant with Abram in chapter 15, right after those amazing words. But in chapter 16, Abram tanks. He nosedives. How many of you know You've, you really never arrive. So he's a long way from Ur of the Chaldees. He's done so good. But right after this amazing covenant with God, he marries Hagar, cheats on God's plan. God never told him to do this. And then in Genesis 17, he changed the very way that he spoke of himself. Abram obeyed. The command of God started calling himself Abraham. If you want more details on that, get my book. He was still learning. 
In Genesis 18, God told Abram about the destruction of Sodom. Lot was over there. Abram, Abraham intercedes. And um, God rescues Lot. In Genesis 19, 20, 21, Abraham lies to Abimelech. He's on a journey, y'all. He's trying to save his hide. Lies to Abimelech. Then Isaac is born. That happened, that birth of Isaac happened within a year of the name change. And then 14 years later, somewhere in that neighborhood, he sends Hagar and Ishmael away because Sarah and she just can't handle it. Makes a treaty with Abimelech. And then at the ripe old age of 117 to 137 years, I wish I could get it more specific, but I can't. God tested him. Take your boy. Take your son. Offer him. It was Samuel that told Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it's better to obey than sacrifice. Don't offer me a sacrifice for the sin of disobedience so I can cover it up and forgive it. i got a calling on your life. I know what's best for you. Trust me. Do what I say and watch what I do. He was learning this kind of stuff. He was learning this kind of stuff. I'm convinced that as you mature in God and in your walk with God, he's going to ask more of you and not less. But here's the deal. You know more now. You know more of the scripture now. How many of you, when you first got saved, man, you played Bible Russian roulette like all the time. Like you, you, you couldn't string verses together. You just, you just kind of like, I don't know what to do, God. Open the Bible. Point. And in God's grace and mercy, he may have helped you. But I'm going to tell you, if you're still doing that 25 years later, you've made some dumb choices, I promise you. You know? You know more now, so he can ask more, and you're willing to obey because you understand more about it and through your own experience. I'm rushing to a close here. Hebrews 11, 8 through 19. Listen to this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country. Now, notice we talked about this. There's nothing mentioned about Lot and all that stuff. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him, of the same promise, for he waited for the city which had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a son, a child, when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars in the sky in multitude, innumerable as sand is at destin. These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And all of that prepared him for this, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, 
when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Like, like there's nothing that has to be cut out of this part. Nothing has to be cut out here. Well, and he drug Lot along and Haran and, and, and uh, his, his other brother and his brother's cousin and, and they children and they babies and, you know, none of that. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received this promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. That is so profound, y'all. That means that he put two and two together. He knew, he knew that the seed of the woman, the Messiah, the Christ, the curse reverser promised from the fall of man. In the garden, the proto-evangel, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. They've been looking this whole time. Abraham came to realize it will come. Messiah is, is Isaac is not Messiah, but through Isaac, Messiah will come. So if I kill him, you can't lie. You're going to have to raise him from the dead. Folks, that's highly developed faith. I, I want to encourage somebody tonight. You're either going to become highly developed in unbelief or highly developed in faith. By the little acts of obedience that you, that you yield to all along the way. And when you get into your later years, it will become obvious if you are highly developed in unbelief or highly developed in faith. It pays, y'all. That's why, the, that's why the, the, the wise man said, he said, trust the Lord, serve the Lord in the days of your youth. Don't waste your time. I feel like I spent five years, y'all, on the backside of nowhere running from God, angry at God, shaking my fist at God. And, and I have felt for, you know, I wasted five years. If I could get those five years back. And I've wasted some more time too, don't get me wrong. But I'm saying, like, we don't have time to waste. I know God can redeem the years and all that. I believe that stuff. But listen, our kids don't have to sow their wild oats and go nuts and crazy and and waste 10 or 15 years. We don't have that long, church. God's going to send a revival, and we need all hands on deck. It's time to start obeying the little things, man, those, those little acts of obedience, because one day he's going to ask some really big things of you. Worship him in the little things. Yield to him in the little things. Amen. Stand with me right now. And Abraham had to develop through all those little acts of obedience, and he finally got to the point where when God said, offer your son, he could do it. And he had a revelation of what was going on. You'll raise him from the dead. And I promise you, I, I, can, I think I can prove this biblically. But it is my conviction, it is my conviction, I'll put it that way, that had Abraham not been willing to offer up his son, Let me put it this way. By offering up his son, 
See, a covenant partner will never ask his covenant partner to do something that he's not willing to do himself and take it further. So when Abraham's called a friend of God, that's, a, that's covenant language. It's not buddy. They're Facebook friends, you know. No. It's covenant. This is my friend. That's why he said, when he was going to destroy Sodom, he said, the Lord, a theophany right there, the Lord himself says, can I hide this thing from my friend? I, when you're in covenant with God, he reveals things to you. He reveals, he's told, he said, listen, this is what I'm going to do. And then, as a covenant partner, Abram's interceding. If there's 50 righteous, could you hold off? If there's 40 righteous, this covenant relationship. And so, when God said, give me your son, and Abraham yielded, it completely obligated God to just 2,000 years later, on the same mountain, to offer his son, but not pull the knife back. He was actually the lamb that was slain. There are epic implications in the story, but he never would have fulfilled them had he not obeyed. Those Don't write off the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't condemn. And, I, and I'm closing. I'm done. But I'm reminded years ago, like I didn't touch music for 10 years. Music was a drug to me, y'all. I really did think I was a rock star. I was a rock star in my own mind. It was a drug to me. It had me. Instead of me having music, it had me. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, you got to let it go. And for 10 years, y'all know how I love music. For crying out loud. I sang Delta Dawn tonight. I love music. But for 10 years, not that I'm anything, it was just part of my journey. I didn't touch it. It was shelled. I, I didn't pursue it. I just let it go. What's God asking of you? Let it go. If you'll trust Him, it'll help you get where you're supposed to go where your life is fulfilled and blessed beyond your wildest expectations. Can you just close your eyes with me right now? Lift your hands to him. Father, I thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.